becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the songs. Well, here we are. Here we are. We're off. To the shores. To the shores. <laughs> so we're out in West Texas this week. This is the second annual Shores of Ignorance road trip. Uh-huh. We had to go see all our many fans in the West Texas. <laughs> <laughs> That's what most of our fans are in marathon. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a thriving city of uh, <clears throat> 500 million. It's really <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah, so it's been super nice. We've just been sitting on the porch, talking, thinking, reading, eating steak, drinking eating steak. whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We, we have we we can we can talk for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's we, like there's no limit. There's no limit. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, um, having some audio issues out here yeah. as well. But we're, we're learning. So when we take the uh, shores of ignorance on the road, we'll uh, have it all worked we'll out. We'll have it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but it's been kind of fun. We were here last year, like right in the pandemic. And mm-hmm. yeah, we were kind of reminiscing on where we were then versus now. And it's been, it seems so long ago. Well, simultaneously, it seems like yesterday uh-huh. um, that we were here last. And it also seems like a lifetime ago, yeah. like a whole different world that we were in. Yeah, I mean, technically, it's 52 podcasts later. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Probably like 48, but you know, yeah, whatever. Right. It's close. But maybe we should explain what this trip is and, and what we're doing, because I think, yeah. um, well, I think it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think so the whole point is to get out of town, uh, get away, and spend some time both reflecting and sort of plotting and planning for the next year. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's an interesting time to do that because it's pre the holidays, pre, you know, the time most people do the the planning for the next year is around the January 1st time frame. But um, this coincides both with your birthday and, <laughs> totally. you know, once you get to the Thanksgiving uh, area, there's just no room for doing anything or thinking clearly about anything. No, uh-uh. Yeah, I'm kind of against the whole January 1st thing. I've, I've never really, I've done it a few times, like just trying to project into the future, but uh, <laughs> Matt's glowing with light right now. Got, the sun is illuminating me. <laughs> but I think this has been really, because it is sort of like once you had Thanksgiving, it's it's just nonstop. Yeah, you know? yeah. And this has been, it's been nice to think about kind of where we've been and where we're going and kind of where we are too, kind of a mm-hmm. self-check-in also. So yeah got a lot of things going on. There's a lot of uh, exciting things, I think, coming up. One of the themes that seems to be emerging from our conversations this week is um, like we're stepping into something really new. Everything's shifting Mm -hmm. in a, in a fairly seemingly fundamental way. Um, Everything from like sort of the social contract post COVID is something new. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly the COVID social contract, but it's not back to what we were before Mm -hmm. either. So we're having to renegotiate all of that. Um, But so has the political climate and the, um, the media industry. We're also moving into, I think simultaneously with COVID and all the political shifts, you've got this, um, we, we, we talked a bit about it at the end of the last episode, this web three emerging and, and what is that? We don't really know, but the, the role of big tech social media is changing and there's a groundswell of interest and in information coming out about crypto blockchain 
NFTs, the concept of digital ownership. Um, and I think that the, the fundamental theory and premise around those things is something more akin to individual sovereignty mm. than it is to, um, well, sort of the old web two idea of create a social network that provides utility or value to the user. And this new idea is create networks, which accrue value in the user's hands. Hmm. Um, so lots of really interesting things happening. It really is. It's, it's one of those things that, uh, you and I have been really having a hard time kind of thinking differently. You know, we, we've had a couple podcasts kind of along that same, same thoughts of how do you think NIF differently? And a, a lot of it is, is encountering new information mm-hmm. and trying to put that information into context. And I think that's hard to, it's hard to do if you're, if, if, if the most of the information that we get is more like web two or, um, kind of old, uh, industrial sort of, uh, industrial revolution, sort of industrial, uh, Error epoch, you know, and the information age is a lot different than what that um, industrial revolution. Yeah, so you've been telling me about this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, I have it. I haven't started reading it yet. Called no. the Sovereign <clears throat> Individual. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could give just a brief overview of that sort of thesis, because mm. um, I think we are moving from the industrial to the information age. Yeah, right, and that's his point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like again, I won't do this very well, but it, it's a really it's a it's a really good book. Um, but basically, the idea is like you know, in the industrial age, it's it's more about um, you know uh, the uh, the assembly line. You it's it, it was more uh, you had to organize organize around people, and as we're moving out of that sort of industrial aspect into more of the information age. Uh, everything starts to become more digital. Uh, the, you know, the, um, he uses the word, the sovereign individual. So at, at in the industrial age and before agriculture age and, um, on back, it was about, um, sort of belonging to a city state or a group of people. Um, where now if, if you have your information, if you have your money, like in like Bitcoin and that kind of stuff that, the individual becomes more and more sovereign in owning their information and the things that they um, acquire, like NFTs or digital um, mm-hmm. ownership and stuff like that. So, uh, <clears throat> is it is it is it the case that in the industrial revolution, value accrued around um, processes and people and mm-hmm. product? Mm-hmm. Whereas now value accrues around information and mm-hmm. ideas and um, platforms yeah, and the ability to disseminate information. I think you read the book better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> yeah. Which is a fascinating shift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how could that be? But it seems a bit self-evident as you look around and, and you see the, the recent struggle over the power dynamics of speech hmm. and, and the, and the discussions and arguments around free speech, you know, it's no longer free speech is just sort of like a given in, a, in this country. Mm-hmm. It's now being debated as, you know, is it good? Is it bad? What constitutes free speech and what constitutes, you know, something which isn't, yeah. um, the, the value of speech, the value of information has become 
the most valuable thing in our society. Mm-hmm. Well, just thinking about uh, uh, someone we know that was trying to send money to somebody in I think Italy or something like that, and they were having a hard time doing that. But at the same time, like when we were kids, we could not do that. It wasn't possible. It was not right. possible. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's something we've been talking about too, is the, how, how long does it take for things to change? Mm-hmm. Because when we were kids, the idea of sending money to someone in Italy, like, well, one, that would never arise yeah. as, as something you would want to do. Like mm-hmm. what would be the circumstance in which you would want to do that? But now, um, that the internet has effectively, well, sort of deleted all borders in terms of like, I can talk to anyone on the planet mm-hmm. instantaneously at any time that I choose to. Yeah. Um, you know, I might have someone I know that I want to transact with in Italy. <clears throat> and, and can you do that? Yeah. Is it as easy as you might expect? No. Mm-hmm. It's actually a bit harder. Yeah. Um, but with things like cryptocurrency and uh, currencies that are not controlled by a nation state, currencies which aren't issued or uh, which are are not issued by a nation state that, that are decentralized, um, you can do that very easily. Mm-hmm. But it's akin to I think you know you remember when credit cards first started being a thing and were being used, and it took a long time, like maybe 30 years until that adoption was complete. Yeah. You know, there's like one of my favorite restaurants down the street from my house just during COVID started accepting credit cards. You know, they were a holdout cash only. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like this, um, <laughs> it was kind of a uh, cool, <laughs> like it was good for them too, because they put a, an ATM with like a $4 charge on it outside. And so they're making money both, you know, from the ATM and from the, the regular course of business. But, mm-hmm. you know, it took a long time for credit cards to be fully adopted. And I think it really only happened somewhat recently. And a- as that full adoption has happened, they've also, I think, started to become obsolete. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already moved to, you know, Apple pay or, um, tap, tap pay, mm-hmm. whether that's with the credit card or your phone or mm-hmm. your Android or whatever. Um, and that is going to be the, that is going to be the future. Mm-hmm. And so what are we changing into? Well, you know, when you look 30 years down the road, things are going to look very different. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking like, as you were saying that too, the like AT&T, like if you live somewhere, you had sometimes just one provider, you know, uh, like my parents in Amarillo is sort of like sudden link. Like you, there was no other company you could go to, to get your phone, your internet and your TV. It's like, but now as long as you get an internet connection, you can get your phone, you can get your TV from multiple different avenues. It's, it's no longer centralized to, um, one individual company that gives you that, gives you those things. So it's also, I mean, again, whenever, what was that? I forgot what it's called now. Zoom, but then that what came before Zoom? <laughs> uh, you, you could call people across the uh, across the pond, and I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, before Zoom, the video call, video conferencing yeah. software. Uh-huh. I don't know. It was fa- like the first time. It was like the first one. Goodness gracious! No. AIM. No. Did they do video? Oh man. Yeah. I'll look it up. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point that you just made about um, you know the you utility providers like AT&T was providing you everything. They provide your internet, they provide your cable, they provide your phone service. And 
it's like the position of the individual in the economy, in the market, and in society itself is is one of a uh, a customer, a receiver. Mm-hmm. Like I plug into the services provided me. Yeah. But our life doesn't look like that anymore. Um, it's more. We want services which aggregate other services on demand. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's through your Apple TV um, for uh, for you know your viewing content. Um, and even with like, maybe the, the phone service hasn't changed all that much, but mm-hmm. it's more <clears throat> the position of the individual to the service providers or, or to the, the institutions has changed. And I think the first step in that was that the users became the content generators mm. through social media. Um, but they weren't the benefactors of the value created. And the next step is the users create the content and become the benefactors of the value created Mm. like monetarily. And that wasn't, I don't think quite possible with like, for instance, credit card networks uh, processing and reconciling transactions. Mm -hmm. But that is possible with something like the blockchain. It's possible with something like cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. whether that's Bitcoin or some sort of U S dollar stable coin is sort of irrelevant. The idea is that, these things are now possible and we will, the evolution of our digital lives, I think will go in that direction. Yeah. Which, which if that's all true, I mean, it could, there's some, there could be some other version of the truth, but something, something that's come to our minds as we've been talking through this over the last four days. And, um, and by the way, like what a privilege to get out of town away from regular life, I suppose, Mm -hmm. and just talk about things at length, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, it's such a good thing. And I just, I'm so glad that we get to do that. And I encourage everyone to try (laughs) to make space in your life because one thing that I've noticed is when you go somewhere else that isn't your home, you become acutely aware of how much different other people's way of life is. Mm Mm-hmm other areas. It, it's very humbling. Yeah. So I think when you stay in the same place, which is what people have been doing for the last two years, you get this idea that what makes sense to you should obviously make sense to other people. Yeah. But you come out here, you know, we're in this little town. It's not even a stoplight. And I'm looking around thinking there's no way that what's good for us in Austin is good for these folks out here. Mm-hmm. I regret using the word folks. <laughs> folks. I've been wearing a cowboy hat for four days. So. Um, yeah, but I, what was I going to say about um, credit card transactions reconciling? Well, you were talking about also being able to get away. And uh, I think that part, like when you and I first got in the car, the first four hours, we were just nonstop. And then we listened to the podcast. And then the next day, kind of nonstop. But then can we kind of hit a point where it's more we're taking more longer pauses in between conversation and you start to kind of, you you start to kind of get out there on out in front of your skis or, you know, it's like kind of where the shores really is, is, as you start to incorporate new information. Yeah. And, and that's something that we've kind of spent a lot of the first half of this is more kind of rehashing and also, um, pushing on a lot of things that we've been talking about for a while. Mm-hmm. And then as we started getting back out, it's like, okay, what is it? What does the future look like? And then you start extrapolating all that you've talked about and all that you've kind of gained over the last year or two, whatever. 
And then you start to kind of project it into the future. And again, it's not about being right. It's more about, here's what I see, and I'm going to aim in this direction. As new information provides itself to me, then I will move and change. But it's just good to kind of see what you've kind of accumulated and kind of point it in a direction. Right. Yeah, so two observations from that. You were mentioning something. You read read me a little passage from The Sovereign Individual about um, the, the rapidity with which information is sort of incoming into our lives. Mm. And when you come, when you leave a city and go to a small place where it's quiet and it's calm, um, you realize the onslaught of sort of input that you're subjected to mm-hmm. by, uh, you know, relative to the new sort of calm that you step into. Um, and you it reminds me that we have so much input coming in and you don't understand it, not all of it. Yeah. And so you have to sort of turn it over and over in your, in your hands, like talk about it with your friends, talk about it with your, with your people and try to make sense of this rapidly changing world that we're living in. Mm. And I think the tendency for people is to, well, for all of us is to try to like, we're pattern recognition machines. That's what our brains are. And so we, we see new information and we apply it to what we know. And the, the thing, I think the mode that you and I have been in on this trip is, well, the world is changing. So how do we apply it to where we think the world is going Mm -hmm. rather than to where we have been? Mm-hmm. Because even the idea of credit card networks and um, reconciling transactions through a centralized authority like that is not going to be the way the world functions at some point in the future. Yeah. So how do we apply new information toward where we're going at the same time that we use where we've been to you know, start making sense of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that uh, will point... That when I read you that thing uh, out of the sovereign individual, he says, he talks about like we're in the age of information and we need to shift into the age of understanding. And part of it is, is like we have so much information coming at us that we need ways to kind of take time and to kind of bring some understanding to the information that we have. Um, Because we're all guilty of, of sort of uh, getting into our little echo chambers and, you know, just repeating what we've been told. And it's hard because like, it's like, we don't have time to like uh, research every single thing that we come across. And so we do turn to people that we trust in those areas, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think over the last year, two years, six years, I feel like a lot of those things that we may have trusted as a society are no longer providing us with the information. And we talked about this many times on the podcast with, you know, how I podcast in general, um, the two hour formats and stuff like that are helpful to be able to kind of draw out these, um, ideas a little bit more and provide nuance and stuff. Yeah. So I think, you know, coming into an age of understanding is that we need kind of, you know, thought leaders in different areas to be able to provide us good information Mm -hmm. and that we can then question and, and talk about it ourselves. And well, and that's the key thing I think is we have to have, we have to have freedom to question. 
And it isn't about, and here's, I think, the, the point that the, the popular narrative is missing right now, is it isn't about questioning authoritative sources. Mm -hmm. It's about the assimilation and consolidation of new information. Mm -hmm. It's a process of, under, of moving from information to understanding. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you have to sort of like metaphorically kick the tires. Like, what is this? Yeah. You have to start asking questions of it. You know, it's not about not trusting science necessarily. Mm -mm. It's it. This is just the process by which we think. I mean, and that is science actually. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <coughs> we were watching uh, this video about the <gasps> zip uh, zip principle, uh -huh. I think. And, and just briefly, uh, if I can explain that, I don't know if I can. It's, it's the observation that, the frequency with which things occur is correlated to their rank. Uh -huh. So like the most common um, word used in the English language is the word the. And then the next most common word is used half as often. And the next after that, a, th a third is often. And the next after that, a quarter is often. And it's like you can and you can find this pattern not just in language, but in all kinds of crazy places. We'll, we'll put the video in the uh, show notes. It's kind of mind-blowing. But one thing that he pointed out was that we, as far as frequency of words, we ask more questions than we answer. And there's something to me both like incredibly beautiful about that, but also fundamental to what it means to be a conscious human being. Mm -hmm. We ask questions. It's how we understand. It's how we move from... Um, something that we don't recognize to something that we recognize to something that we maybe trust then to something that we understand. Yeah. <laughs> Those cars driving by, I'm like, they're <laughs> looking in here. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, Oh, hi. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I love that. You know, again, just to be able to ask the questions because when things start to not make sense, it's funny because you don't I'm seeing like the I'm seeing the way that people act are not the way that the narrative is being spoken. You know, as far as like, mm -hmm. you know, in mm -hmm. Austin, Texas right now, uh we just went from stage 3 to stage 2. However, at stage 2, so they just redefined what stage 2 and stage 3 are. It's no longer about hospitalizations. Now it's about uh, how many people are infected, right? They redefine the criteria by which they define the stages. Mm -hmm. and, and how many people know that? No I mean, one. I, I, I look at these things cause I, for my business right. and stuff like that. And I was like, you can't just redefine something. And now everyone thinks we're at stage three, which is based on hospitalizations when actually the hospitalizations are stage two or even stage one now. Right. So they redefined the measurement in order to stay in the stage that they wanted to stay in, which is crazy. Yeah. Or so it seems it's like, why, why else would you change the measurements? Like that doesn't right. make any sense. It's sort right. of like, but I think that's the hard thing is like over the last two years, you know, how many times again, I'm, I'm all about like re adjusting as you get in more information and you have to do that. And like, you know, slow down the curve or, or whatever it might be. And, and obviously if you get more information, you need to change and that's understandable, but we've seen that, so many times this year, it's like the vaccine, you get the vaccine, we're going to be all good. Okay. Well, if you have the vaccine and you max and you get the booster and you, it's like, it's like, when, when do we start to live and accept a certain amount of risk? Who listened to something about the risk 
Um, maybe I was. Hmm. Well, just that nobody really, uh, very few people understand is like we do live with a certain amount of risk. And some people don't want to live with any risk and want somebody else to tell them what to do. It's like, as long as you tell me what to do, then I can be justified in doing that and feeling safe. Well, I think it's the abdication of responsibility for your own life. Mm-hmm. If, if I can follow the rules and, and outsource my sort of risk tolerance to the rules, then if something goes wrong, I have someone to blame. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if I voluntarily engage risk responsibly and mm-hmm. something goes wrong, well, maybe it's my fault. <coughs> yeah. And people don't, people don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Which is understandable to some degree. It's like, but mm-hmm. you kind of, when you abdicate responsibility, it's like, who are you abdicating that responsibility to? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, uh, you know, I think that's the hard thing that I think like what we're learning right now is like, who is in charge right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. What, where are we, what are we trying to, what are we trying to do? Like, what's, what's our end goal here? And I, I feel like the end goal is to keep this pandemic going. <laughs> it just feels that way. I don't Yeah, it does feel that way. I mean, I think that there's a lot of power to be had. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an opportunity it's it's an opportunity to re- reorganize the world. I mean, that's why I think you saw the emergence of this build back better phrase like mm-hmm. uttered from the lips of almost every world or or uh, national leader. Mm-hmm. It was immediate um alignment around that. Yeah. Which is interesting. Like, I mean, even like, uh, the corporate tax, uh, was it the, the, I think they passed that. Did they, the UN, uh, like a, a minimum world corporate mm-hmm. tax? I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay. That's on the table right now. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that I, I kind of feel like our government doesn't really trust us to make good decisions. It's like you, you kind of start to feel like, again, that this is starting to, this is kind of my libertarian side starting to shine right <laughs> yeah. now. I've got lots of different sides, <laughs> but this is that. I just feel like there's like, there's a trust there that, you know, they think they know what is better for us. And, and there's a certain science that only they will accept and mm-hmm. that you should, you should accept too. And everything else is not the science. And I just really, that narrative right there just throws up so many red flags, even if they're right, you know, mm-hmm. in what they're coming to. Right. It, it just, it, there's so many red flags with somebody telling me, no, you, you can't look at these other, and you're seeing the right. social media groups getting behind that. You can't look at this other information. I'm like, well, why, why can't I look at this other information? It's dangerous. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Well, now I really want to look at it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh geez. Yeah. And that that's to me, those are just, those are just red flags that I just don't, it just makes me kind of question like, what, what are we doing? Like what's, what's our end goal and, and why, why is there a sort of like, hmm. uh, censorship? Kind of? <clears throat> well, it does seem, it's even funny when you say that, what is our end goal? Like you mean as a country, mm-hmm. as a, as a, as a body politic, well, I'm, I'm certain that our end goal as individuals is not commiserate with whatever the end goal of the sort of powers that be is. Mm-hmm. And something I've, I've been thinking about lately is, is that, or trying to remind myself, you know, 
we live in this very strange time when people are almost like deifying certain political politicians or political positions Mm. as either moral or immoral as will save you or will kill you. Mm. It's talked about in these very extreme terms. And I've been reminding myself that any politician's primary incentive is reelection. It isn't to improve your life. It isn't to protect you. It's to get reelected. You know, and it it, ha- it can't be any other way. I mean, that's not to say that they don't care about you and don't want to improve your life. Yeah. But their ability to do so is contingent upon their ability to get reelected. Mm-hmm. So the primary incentive is stay in office. Yeah. And they'll do whatever they have to do in, in order to accomplish that. Um, so what did you say? They don't trust us. Yeah. It should be the other way around. Mm-hmm. They don't trust us and they are demanding our trust. Yeah. And the entire premise of the American experiment is no, sorry. It's the other way around. Yes. <clears throat> you trust us to do, to live our lives to the best of our ability. And we don't trust you. Yeah. Because we've seen where trust in government goes. Mm-hmm. It goes, uh, it goes deadly. It goes bloody. <laughs> so we're, we're flipping the, the, um, the dynamic there. Well, it's like, we're asking the government. I mean, that's kind of the whole, you know, United States experiment is to preserve that, you know, it's like preserve that individual, mm-hmm. that individuality, the, the, you know, the pursuit of life, liberty, and <clears throat> the pursuit of happiness, you know? <clears throat> and it's like, our politicians main goal is it should be is to provide provide that sort of infrastructure for the individual well, to protect our ability to do so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's like it, it it feels more like we're becoming subjects of the government rather than the government being its subject of us like that's 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 what it was intended to be is is, is there to there to answer and be accountable to us we're not we're not supposed to be answerable and accountable to them. Yeah. Like, even just, you know, Biden overruling the, the court, you know, saying, Hey, go, go ahead with this vaccine thing. Now, I'm all for like, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to, yeah. Flesh that one out a bit. Okay. Yeah. Because <clears throat> if you haven't seen this, you know, Biden announced this vaccine mandate for requiring companies to mandate the vaccine. If they have a hundred more employees, how he was, you know, how he was planning on enforcing that was, you know, yeah. who, who knows? Yeah. I guess he's trying to use OSHA to do it. But um, the district court six, maybe sort of said, yeah, no, I don't think that's constitutional. Mm-hmm. And then Biden responded and said, hey, companies, you should mandate the vaccine anyway. Mm-hmm. Like ignore the courts. Yeah. And like, holy hell. <laughs> This it's like if the if the if that sentence had come out of another man's mouth who I will not name, <laughs> you shall not be named. We would say that's textbook fascism, uh-huh, totally, and we would be right uh-huh. because it's the alignment of government and private corporate entities mm-hmm. to express control and power. Yeah, and he's going beyond the courts and saying, don't listen to the courts side with me here mm-hmm. and push this thing, which the courts are saying is unconstitutional. Yeah. It's wild. 
And that's why we have the judicial, the executive, and the legislative is to provide those checks and balances. Yeah, it's so out of whack. I mean, even him, uh, even him issuing the call for companies to mandate. It's like, no, that's the legislature's job mm-hmm. to create laws. Yeah, not the executive's job to dictate uh, behavior to. <laughs> The private sector. Well, I think that's the hard thing. Is like there's these whole, all these executive orders stuff, and 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 from my under, my limited understanding of that, it's gotten out of control over the last. I think since maybe Bush or Clinton, yeah, one of those two, it started to get a little it bit started to ramp up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I mean that's something that hopefully eventually maybe we can address. You know, but mm-hmm. that's that's uh, that's above my pay grade. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's the thing is you know. Again, I think that's also like you saw Texas and Florida kind of stand up against that and say, no, not in Texas or not in Florida. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then immediately get pilloried by Mm -hmm. the entire media institution. Yeah. Because, again, we've decided that politics are morality. Yeah. And I think it's that's a dangerous it's a dangerous place to go. It is. I mean, again, when we start talking about. Uh, information versus understanding. You know, there's something mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we're seeing in this area, like information wise, people are moving to Texas and Florida. Why? They're moving out of New York and California. Why? There's some information there that is not being, is not being communicated in a way that shows the full picture of what's happening. You know, you, you look at these, cities like uh and this is not all of california because i think there's there's areas there, there there's areas but like i think there are two major cities of san francisco and, and la it's like mm-hmm. just homelessness businesses large businesses are moving out uh, we've talked about this a lot but um <clears throat> but again it's like i think that's the hard thing for us to to see because most of our main sources of information are giving us like lots of information it's not accurate information and therefore, understanding, you can't have understanding without accurate information. Like, how do you report that? Hey, you know, they're, they're just slamming Texas and Florida for certain things, but they're not saying like, well, wait a minute. Why are all those people moving there? They must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that, again, it's not because of Republicans and do things right. It's just that. In this specific situation, at this specific time, <laughs> right? <clears throat> it's like that, those things we need to learn from. Well, it's like, it doesn't actually, matter if the Republican or Democrat. It's actually not a judgment call. Yeah, like because you could make the same case. You could say, "Oh, Elon's moving Tesla and SpaceX and all of his stuff to Texas, away from California." There was a really hilarious Twitter thread where I think it was like the the mayor or governor or something said like, fuck you to Elon Musk on, <laughs> on Twitter. And he was like the next day he announced he was moving all of his operations out. And it's like, I think it was like a councilwoman or a something. Councilwoman, like, yeah, 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 right. Um, and you could say, uh, well, he's moving to Texas because he's an evil, greedy capitalist. And that's where he can make more money. And the Texas policies are really bad because they're allowing rich people to get richer and the poor to suffer. Mm-hmm. So you could make a judgment call on it that way. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but I think here's the problem with looking at life through a primarily political lens mm. is especially once you attach morality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you, you end up making judgments like that, where empirically what has happened is that, yes, there's a broad trend where people are leaving California and New York and they're going to places like Texas and Florida. Why? Well, you could say it's because they're greedy mm-hmm. or you could say, well, because that's what they want to do. And we live in a country where the, the, the glorious freedom to do what you want to do and to move where you want to move is a, is a primary aspect of mm-hmm. what we have decided that it means to live well. It's also beautiful in that, you know, as far as states go, you know, we have 50 states that can conduct different experiments. Right. And so that's why the federal government's not supposed to be big is because it allows, it's like entrepreneurs too. We've, we've mm-hmm. talked about that. It's like, but you know, each 50 states going to have different experiments going on and we can learn from each one of them, maybe to be best practices, you know, or even like what serves one state doesn't serve the other state. Right. And so I think those are it's like those are that's information that we need to ask why and and just to throw a word like usually those are red flags for me greed lust you know it's like mm-hmm. well okay but it's like maybe yeah totally yeah and, or, or, it, or an aspect of, yeah right yeah. a part mm-hmm. but i don't think that well i think it's, it's very difficult to find someone who acts primarily out of greed mm-hmm I feel like Peterson does a really good job at illustrating that point, which is that, um, well, people don't operate primarily out of greed or malevolence or power because no one likes dealing with them. Mm -hmm. So those people end up moving on because they can't keep relationships. They can't keep friends. Like people figure those people out pretty quickly and move on, you know, um, so while there may be greed, there may be malevolence, there may be power dynamics, I think primarily people off act out of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to go to where I can live the way that I want to live and that that's accepted and reciprocated yeah. and we all flourish. Especially if you're, you know, I've heard this argument from some people have moved from L.A., you know, recently over the last year or two. And it's like, I'm paying all ridiculously high taxes and I have homeless sleeping on the streets everywhere I'm at. It's a dirty city, smells like pee. People are pooping, play, you know, it's like, it's like, what is going on here? Like, I love this city. I want to live here. It's a great state. And yet at some point you just kind of reach your breaking point as far as like, the quality of life here is not what I came here for. Right. And you could probably say like, Oh, well, boo hoo. It's like, why don't you take care of those people? You know, it's like, why don't you stay there and, and pay your bills so that they can, the government can take care of those people on the streets. And it's like, well, taking care of people is not, and this is what was said was, it's like, it's not about just letting people be on the street and poop and take drugs and stuff like that. It's like, actually helping them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of fairly like Austin, even though I kind of, I don't know if they've done, done it really well, but they're kind of getting cleaning up and giving people opportunities that, that are needing the opportunities. I mm-hmm. think they're making an effort in that area. Um, I, I have a lot of question marks about how it's happening, but mm-hmm. I do see that. And I think they also learned from San Francisco and Seattle and some of those things like mm. what not to do, what not think? to do it. And, yeah. 
and I heard Mayor Adler's talk was like, you know, here's what we would have done 10 years ago. And we get the benefit of that information, you know, mm-hmm. like that's the, the California conducted an experiment. It is failing. And my hat's off to the Adler for this. I, I'm frustrated with him with quite a few other things, but my hat's off to him. It's like, it's like, okay, hey, I'm going to learn. What did you guys do? And what would you have done differently before it got so out of control? You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like they, it's still an experiment. We're still seeing exactly how this is going to turn out. Yeah. But I think that's, um, I don't know. So again, it's, it's, the information is, is really, um, we have to bring understanding to that. And it's, and we need to find, we need to find people around us that can help us and challenge us. Mm. And we can talk about it and continue that conversation. Yeah. When it reminds me of something you said about risk and the necessity of risk. Um, well, I think that, so, so, you and I have been spending some time writing about mission statements Oh yeah, because we have to be, we have to be oriented towards something Mm. in order to move because otherwise, you know, where are you going? What are you doing? Well, you don't really know. Mm -hmm. You you can't find something. If if you're not looking for something, you're never going to find it. Mm. So we have to orient ourselves towards something. So what, what is that? So we've been spending some time writing about that and talking about that. And I've been thinking about the necessity of risk in moving forward. Specifically, something that I'm really interested in doing is developing myself and my capacity to think and talk and communicate. Um, And something I wrote down is have the the courage to say what you think, Mm -hmm. because we all... um, we all carry around a, a multitude of thoughts and opinions and ideas and, and, and most of them sort of creatively bubbling up all of the time. And mm-hmm. most of that we don't say out loud. Yeah. We don't say it out loud because there's a risk to saying things out loud. And it might not be finished. Yes. Your thought it, might not be finished. Yeah. Right. may not be understood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a great example of this is like <laughs> you, uh, you want to ask someone out on a date. You know the terror of that because it's a risk. Mm-hmm. They might say no. And how are you going to feel about that? Mm-hmm. You know, and there are certain individuals that I think, you know, like <clears throat> don't give a shit. Yeah. Like they'll, they don't really care about rejection. Most of us do. <laughs> so you say something out loud, you're taking a risk. Um, and I think we have to be, okay, we, we need to cultivate our tolerance for risk in such a way that is also, well, receptive to sort of, um, reprimand Hmm. because I think sometimes you take a risk, right? You might decide, okay, I'm going to ask this person out. I'm taking a risk. It's not only rejection, but you also risk being a creep Hmm. or being inappropriate, Mm -hmm. misreading the situation. Yeah. Right. And said, so cultivate your, your tolerance for risk, but also remain aware and open to when you're, well, um, when you're off, Mm -hmm. when society or your social relationships say, Hey, you're, you're out of bounds here. (laughs) Yeah. But we are currently living in a climate where we can't, it seems, um, 
that we don't have a culture that can kindly and lovingly say, hey, you're out of bounds here. Mm. The response is swift and total. Yeah. I mean, this is the sort of cancel culture thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we construe everything into its worst possible interpretation. But we also live in a culture which says you shouldn't have to take any risk. I mean, Anthony Fauci himself said no one should ever get sick. Like, we need policies that protect people from getting sick. Are you out of your goddamn mind? Are you a doctor? Do you understand the immune system? (laughs) Right. Like, we get sick, and actually we need to get sick Mm -hmm. to be healthy. Yeah. Like, didn't we, don't we, this is maddening. This is madness. Well, that's the whole idea, too, is like, we've, we've, we've also like, like stress is bad. It's like, no, stress is not bad. Stress is actually good for you. There's an unhealthy amount of stress. You know, when you put your, when you put your, um, when you work out and you put your body in a stressful situation, you build muscles. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's a whole thing with the cold showers and like how, when you willingly subject yourself to stress, you're able to then when you encounter stress, that's out of nowhere, out of, out of the sea, out of chaos that just comes on you. It's like, you're able to better handle and maneuver under stressful situations. If you have, if you continue to put yourself in a, in a low stress space or low to medium stress and a, in a continual right. challenge, you know, which kind of reminds me of the flow state, you know, we were talking about this earlier today. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the flow state you have, you have skills, but if you have skills without challenges, you get bored, mm-hmm. you know, but if you have, if you don't have enough skills and you, and you, uh, you have a challenge, it leads to anxiety. So there's this kind of like ebb and flow that we do between building skills right. that, that kind of mitigate between anxiety and boredom. And it's something that we need, we need to be challenging ourselves, but we also need to be building skills. It's the same with our body. It's, it's like this principle just goes across so many different, but, uh, but that's the thing is like, all that only comes through put, putting yourself under stress of some sort, mm-hmm. like building a new skill. That's hard. It takes work. It takes time. It takes effort. Um, you, you have to get up every morning and do it, you know, right. or whatever it might be, you know, challenges are going to come. Yeah. You know, you can hide from them, but they're just, they're, they're going to come. Right. But can you willingly put yourself in a place where you are challenged and I think if you, again, the whole idea of the flow state is if you kind of stay within that flow state, which no one's perfect, but it's like you kind of are prepared to continue to mitigate between, you know, being challenged and acquiring skills. Hmm. And I, I don't know why I went off on that, but <laughs> oh, sickness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like no one should ever get sick. It's like, no, actually, like that's part of a healthy child as they get sick and they build an immune system. That's part of what, part of what the mother gives through her, her milk. Hmm. It's like the mother is giving the child antibodies and right. ability to fight the world around them, you yeah, know? Right. But the whole goal is for the child to then get weaned and their body takes over and, does, and starts to produce that same process, you mm-hmm. know? So I feel like the, you know, when Fauci says that, he just wants us to be on the government's teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't forget, 
we all die. Yeah. You know, you could imagine, um, you know, someone coming and saying, everyone stay in your houses. Um, if you leave, you might die. Mm-hmm. So stay in so that you don't die, but also you're all going to die. So you don't get to escape death. <laughs> so this is, this is what's so interesting. So, okay. Given that we're all going to die, then what makes the, the world worth it hmm. in the meantime? Well, it's not staying in your house cowering. Mm-hmm. It's going out and engaging the world. I mean, the alternative is to live a life that looks like death, which is not leaving your house, not having relationships, not seeing your family. Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't you rather engage risk in order that your life is worth living as short as it may end up being, or as long as it may end up being like you're going to engage risk. And there is some potential for premature death, I I suppose, Mm -hmm. but don't forget that you all die anyway. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, what on your, on your deathbed are you gonna be like, Oh, well, you know what? I'm so glad I didn't go see, my family for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I lived a risk-free life and right, yeah. did nothing. And so I accomplished that. You get a, you get a badge for, for, for living a risk-free life. Well, it's, just, <laughs> it's so amazing. It's the paradox of life, the paradox of humanity. Mm. Do you want, if you want meaning, you have to engage risk. Yeah. If you want growth, you have to engage stress. There's, there isn't a way around it. Mm-hmm. If you want to become competent, you have to fail. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. If you want understanding, you have to ask questions mm-hmm. and risk offense. If you want a girlfriend or a wife, you have to risk <laughs> being the creepy guy who misread the situation, you know? Yeah. So... <clears throat> But isn't that so beautiful? Yeah. I mean, it seems that way to me. It does. I mean, I, I, I think that's the weird thing is like a risk has been sort of demonized and people are seen as, you know, uh, oh shoot, not responsible for taking risks. You know, it's like, right. again, yeah. it, it's understandable that there are risks that, that are irresponsible. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you can go too far the other way too. It's like right. to, to, you know, but at the same time, it's like those people that take the largest risk are the, are some of the most inspiring people. I think of like Alex Honnold, you know, it's like mm. free. <laughs> I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> I, I feel inspired, uh-huh. but it's like a, with a question mark at the end. It's oh, like, interesting. Am, am I inspired? What's, what's the question mark? Well, It just seems like too much risk. <laughs> but I think that's the thing is like, we need people like him because <clears throat> even though I might not be able to free climb, you know, uh, the wall, the dome wall, the dome wall, right. Yeah. Uh, but the, but just his, we got, we actually got to participate with him mm-hmm. in that moment. 
and which I think was beautiful and, and amazing that they were able to capture that for us. I mean, it was the most incredible display of skill, practice, discipline, discipline. I mean, he went, it wasn't like he just climbed the wall. They spent a year and it didn't work out like climbing yeah. every day, looking at routes. It, yeah. Like he knew every single like tiny little hole, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and it didn't work out that year. So they had to come back the next year. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, when sometimes when people see these things, they're like, Oh, well he just climbed it. Right. It's like, no one ever does it. Like Elon Musk has spent years and years, uh, Apple, you know, um, home dude. Um, who started Apple? <laughs> oh, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, <clears throat> in order to live a life worth living, it's like you have to take risk. You have to fail. It's 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 a part of life. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm a father. It's like you know, I I take risk and I fail at being a father. But the more I fail, the more I learn. Right. And it's like, and there's a point at which, and I think the Alex Honnold thing is a good um, example of this. I and mean, there's a point at which. You, you work on something. Okay, so in music, for example, I think Miles Davis said something like this. I know for sure, like an, a mu- an old music instructor I had said something like this, which is that, you know, if you practice enough, at some point you don't make any more mistakes. Hmm. And this sounds like an absurd statement. Yeah. But the point is that once you are competent enough, there aren't any mistakes. Because what might be considered a mistake to a less competent player, you are now competent to turn into something which is no longer a mistake. Hmm. So, you know, are there any wrong notes? I mean, yes, if you're in middle school band, <laughs> no, if you're Miles, Miles Davis, mm-hmm. because he can turn anything into something you want to hear. He can adjust and shift. Yes. Yeah. Right. Totally. And that level of understanding of music, understanding of your instrument comes from a lot of, of disciplined practice. Mm. And I think the same concept is at play with Alex Honnold climbing. Um, what is the name of the route he climbed? Dome. Uh, oh, it's not the Dawn wall. It's, um, I forget the, the actual route it's on El Capitan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever it is. <clears throat> it's like he practiced that enough to where he knew it. Like you said, like knew every crack crevice, every handhold, mm-hmm every move he was going to make every muscle he was going to engage at every second of that route to where it's like, there isn't an opportunity for a mistake anymore. Mm -hmm. And the payoff of that is like, I'm going to do this without a rope. Yeah. I'm not going to fall. There is no chance of me falling. (laughs) I know it, Uh you know, but I think that, and maybe that's what's inspiring about it. It is totally inspiring. It kind of even comes back to, kind of the mission statement that we were kind of talking about earlier, you know, Mm. it's like, and we've talked about the last two episodes. It's, it's, you need a mission statement that, that you cannot achieve. It's gotta be so big and so grand that it inspires you your entire life. Like, you know, I just can see like, like when I imagine a mission statement, I want to be on my, my bed, my deathbed and Mm. be like, wow, I really accomplished, I really, I really almost manifested that mission statement because it's more about a life lived than, than accomplishing something. Yeah. Well, and I think a sufficiently broad, I mean, this is kind of back to the, 
the idea of there's, you know, a co- for a competent musician, there is no such thing as a mistake. A sufficiently broad mission statement will transform any mistake toward its end goal into its own service. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, okay, you have some mission statement as a business, let's say, and you, you know, you, if you fail at one step along the way, you can transform that failure into information, which moves you toward the mission statement. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe at one moment it was a failure, but in the story of the movement toward the mission statement, it becomes a positive force. Yeah. So something that's sufficiently broad or maybe sufficiently divine, sufficiently inspiring has the power to transform the wrong note played Mm. into a new, interesting melody. Mm. And this is, there's a really great passage in the great divorce by CS Lewis in which the main character is, is having this conversation with like, I guess it's an angel. Um, Oh, I don't know if I have this on hand in my head. Um, but he's asking a question about, uh, there's this other person who has this sort of like lizard on its, on his shoulder speaking. It's almost like the devil on the shoulder speaking, um, you know, speaking lies into his ear. And at some point it ends up transforming, um, into this glorious horse with wings and the man gets on it and it flies away. Um, and he asked this question about that, like what just happened there? And he just said, the angel says to the man, something like, that's what that creature always was. Hmm. Like something about if you move forthrightly into the future, honestly, truthfully, everything that does not serve that isn't exactly cut off or dismissed. Hmm. It is transformed Transformed. into something in that service. Mm -hmm. And the point that Lewis makes in the great divorce is that in the end, all will be transformed into heaven. Hmm. And the only things left behind are, are the things which willfully do not, participate in the process of transformation. Hmm. It's really fascinating. Just even the idea of like participating in transformation. Mm-hmm. It's not even really about transformation. It's about participating. It's like showing up every day and like, like what does today hold? I'm going, I'm going to willingly participate in that transformation into something that I may not even know what it is. It's uh, something that on the trip on the road up here <clears throat> we were talking about, it's like, it's like, you don't know what you don't know that, you know, and it's such a tongue twister, odd <laughs> saying, but it just, it, we've, we've kind of been tossing this around. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. We all, that, that makes all sense to all of us but we also know a lot of, don't know a lot of things that we know. It's like all these things that are sitting under the surface and you know them, but you just, you just can't act on them. You, you, you don't, or maybe you're acting on them, but you, you don't even know that you're acting on them. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's a part of like in, in discussion, like, like what Matt and I do on a, on a <laughs> we've done this weekend is just, it's like, what are these things that are kind of just sitting under the surface that I'm acting on that I don't know that I'm acting on hmm. or that I, that I know and understand, but I, I, I hasn't really come to the surface and, and that I can then, then it can be utilized as a tool. Like right now it's, 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 there's a lot of things and this will always be the case. There's always going to be this underlying things that are, um, that are sort of like unconscious or subconscious that we're acting out of. And part of, I think the glory of being a human and conscious and being conscious is like drawing those things out of the deep and like where we can act on them with intention and, um, and, uh, with purpose, you know, Hmm. And that's a, that's a never ending process. And that's part of like having a mission statement. That's part of being participating in the world is you, you can't ever draw those things out if you don't participate in the world. And so that's whenever you hear a lot of, I feel like in a lot of government stuff right now is, is don't ask questions, just obey, mm-hmm. comply, you know, comply. That's not healthy for people. No, it's like, we need the debate. We need the, the questions asked, you know, how far is too far? What's, you know, it it just, it's, it's like we have to push back because we don't know how far is too far until it's too far. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And by that time you're going shit, (laughs) (laughs) it's too far. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, I mean, certainly there are, there are things that we have, you can rely on, I, I guess I would say tradition or experience to say like, there's things we've agreed are too far. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then again, you know, the world is, is shifting and changing. And so what's too far? Well, it's, it's, it's mostly relative to the specifics of a relationship, I think. Mm-hmm. And so it's a living, moving thing, just like you're a living, moving thing. Mm-hmm. And so how do you work that out? Well, partly through failure, but, but maybe, primarily through inquiry. Well, I think too, is like you're saying like, you know, we've, there's, there are things that are embedded in our culture, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and even in religion and stuff like that, that kind of tell us, tells us that this is too far. Mm-hmm. But even then it's like, we sometimes have to revive those symbols because they've lost their meaning. Mm-hmm. And something you and I were talking about earlier today or yesterday was, you know, Hey, there's a fence here let's tear it down and, and open this up. It's like, well, you don't know why the fence was put there in the first place. This is Chesterton's fence mm-hmm. analogy. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, we need to like, well, maybe we just say like, Hey, let's tear down this fence. Like, well, first, why was the fence put there? You need to revive those symbols and borders and boundaries that we may have put to protect ourselves. And then we're like, Oh, it's there because there's dinosaurs over there and they can't, <laughs> we don't want them to get over here. <laughs> dinosaurs is so very, better. Yeah. Yeah. It's like cows are kind of like inconsequential. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter if they get out so much, you know, cause a wreck or something. Yeah. I don't know. That's funny. <laughs> hmm. So what's the theme? Hmm. I mean, what are we carrying forward into the next year? Hmm. It's a really good question. Um, yeah, I feel like we're, we're about to hit January, <laughs> which we basically I mean, are. Practically we are. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm really excited about this next year. I think you and I are specifically, we've been, we've been really talking about 
the future and like how to how to how to make decisions today that will affect us five and ten years down the road. Yeah, it's like there's it's kind of like the get rich quick scheme, but those hardly ever really work. So it's like it's like how what can I build today in order to have something into the future? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that like where we're noticing right now a lot of things around uh, you know Web three and crypto and uh, society and business that and how people are, are acting in the world. And so what I'm really encouraged about, I guess, for this next year is to continue to kind of build on some of those things. Um, you know, as a, as a business, you know, uh, I think as a personal for my family and my kids, yeah. it's like, you know, there's a lot of things around, you know, my kids are going to be going to college soon. It's like, well, what good is a, what good is a university degree? What is that going to do for them? Mm-hmm. And those are questions that I'm asking, you know, for my kids into the future. So <laughs> I guess I kind of skirted all your questions just now. I'm like, I just, I just come up with more questions. <laughs> really. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> It's, well, it's a constituent element of a life well lived. Have <laughs> so, lots of questions. Uh, so I guess that's my, for my next year is like, I, I think those are the, those are the questions uh, <clears throat> thinking differently about money, thinking differently about how I can support my kids into the future. Uh, I really want to transform my thinking around those things. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, how can I really support my kids into the future in a way that enables them to grow in responsibility, to take risks and to solve problems. Mm. Like my question for my kids is like, what problem do you want to solve? Okay. What steps do you need to take today? You know, and and those things are going to change over the years, but it's like, that's something I want for my kids. Mm. How about you? So I was interviewing for jobs a lot lately, um, and I was trying to think about what it, what it is that I wanted to do. Mm. And maybe this is something of a mission statement. I wrote down that I, I want to create high-quality, innovative solutions to interesting problems with passionate, curious, and creative people. And that sounds to me a lot like what you just said you wanted for your kids. Mm-hmm. Like, grow in responsibility. Take risk solve interesting problems yeah with interesting people Mm -hmm. like (laughs) yeah (laughs) i can't imagine you know sort of a life better lived than that and maybe i'll i'll just add there's this quote that i saw i think today from carl jung that said the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are Mm. which hits on the conversation we had just now about transformation um, problem solving risk. Like, what does it mean to say to become who you truly are? Like, aren't you already who you truly are? Yeah. I mean, yes, in time, it, like in this moment, you are who you are. There's nothing you can do about it. But we all, I think, have this terrifying and almost tragic sense that we aren't yet who we will be. Yeah. 
and I think often when we encounter that 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 realization, when we brush up against it, it, it happens often through art. I think, like you're in a, you encounter a beautiful landscape or a beautiful piece of music or um, a particularly moving story. I mean, these things can bring you to tears, and I think part of what brings you to tears is there's more to me than I know. There's more to me than I am yet. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you become who you truly are? And I am reminded of that word parhesia Mm. to speak forthrightly in the face of danger to courageously speak the truth and sort of truth with a capital T it's not, sort of truth as is plainly observable, but truth which you discover through risk, Mm -hmm. truth which you discover through participation and through relationship. Um, So I think what I'm feeling right now as I think about moving into the next year in the way that the world is transforming and changing is um, I want more challenge. Mm Mm-hmm because I desperately want, I want to participate in the becoming of who I am. Mm-hmm. Which is like it, when, when you participate in the becoming of who you are, you are also participating in the becoming of those around you. Yes. Because that's something that I think, you know, I've learned from you in our relationship is we're both participating in our becoming, but together it's like it almost magnifies that. So if you can surround yourself with people that are participating in life in that becoming, it's like exponential. Like there's a, there's a, there's sort of like a momentum that you gain from questioning and asking and, and doing that together that I think really, I think really grows you in a way that you can't necessarily do or see just by yourself. I think like you said, uh, you said relational and something else. What was the other? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Ah, shoot. But I have said this before Mm -hmm. that I think relationship is, is fundamental to reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there isn't, well, human beings don't do well alone. Mm-hmm. This is why solitary confinement is like the worst punishment that you can give to someone. Yeah. You're not going to become who you are sitting in a room alone. Mm-hmm. You're going to become something you definitely do not want to be. So I think that that relational aspect, that participatory aspect mm-hmm. is, is not just magnifying, but necessary. Like, fundamentally necessary yeah. if you're going to well yeah you must enter relationship not only with people but even with your things mm-hmm. the things around you mm-hmm. so it's something like get up open your eyes pay attention evaluate what it is that you have to say about something and say it mm-hmm. and be wrong and then reevaluate 
have a conversation with your friend, have a conversation with your parent, have a conversation with your lover, and then pay attention more, you know, and, and speak more and then rest. Yeah, that's true. Cause you have to consolidate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of information to take in and you don't know what it means. There's something about acting in the world or participating and speaking. It's like, that's the only way that you get feedback. That's the only the way that you can really truly test those ideas and the, to refine them is when you act in the world or participate or speak. It's the only way you can know yourself at all. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's like something to, it's like a refining, a refining mm-hmm. aspect. Mm-hmm. And what a wonderful privilege. I mean, back to the, the young mm-hmm. quote, the privilege of a lifetime mm-hmm. is to become who you truly are. Yeah. Dude, that was good. <laughs> Sorry. I like Cheers that. to that. <laughs> Cheers to that. Uh, um, well, we didn't exactly hit on it. Uh, we, we preemptively named this conversation. Oh, I forgot now. I've, <laughs> Go West, back young man. We're, we're in the Wild West. <laughs> oh, dude. Because, can, we, can we go further on this? Sure, yeah. yeah. Because we are literally in the West right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, sort of, is it right to say, like, epoch-wise, mm-hmm. I think we are in the Wild West in a lot of different ways right now. Yeah. And, and we sort of kicked the conversation off there, but didn't exactly name it. It's like... The social contract is different. The, the uh, mainstream media is different. Um, the way we interact, the value of the digital space, um, you know, even things like cryptocurrencies as digital gold. This is sort of the moment in time when it's like you can just get in a wagon and go to California and just pick up gold, you know. It's that way, but now digital. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're sort of in the wild west of the new epoch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that might be hard for, uh, I think there's, there's, <clears throat> there's kind of moments in time where you have these transitions and, and that's something that Matt and I have been really talking about a lot this weekend is just, it's really, it's a really, a t- it's a time to kind of like kind of shift your gaze or to open, to kind of lift your gaze up and to look out. Cause I think there's a lot of opportunity, especially for people to really be authentic and, and to look at the world around you and see the problems that need to be solved. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of like surface problems that aren't really the problems. They're, they're, they're a lot deeper and it's like, you have to, I think that's the part is like, you have to kind of, you have to kind of go a little bit deeper into, um, sort of mining for those things. Hmm. And, and, and even with COVID can kind of be a distraction. I think, uh, you know, it's like COVID was a really big deal for us as a, as a society and as a, as a species, you know, it's like, it really shifted a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I, I see there's a real opportunity for people that are authentic and 
I know that's a, that's kind of a, a weird word in some regards, but <laughs> it has so many like um, 1990s Baptist church connotations. <laughs> Does it? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't yeah, going yeah. there. Authenticity. Uh, that's funny. But like people, like people are you know moving into the future honestly and authentically. It's like I think there's a a, a lot of leadership. Uh, a lot of leadership chasms or um, uh, holes that are uh, yeah, that I was going to say oppor- uh, opportunities mm-hmm. because I don't know where this quote comes from, but something like um, where responsibility is abdicated, opportunity exists, and there's a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. There's there's massive opportunity. I think you put it well. Yeah. Um, for those who are authentic mm-hmm. to make a difference. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. But it's the wild west right now. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe something we'll probably explore over the next uh, few episodes. You know, I think it'll be a theme through the year 2022, mm-hmm. you know, and that's pretty exciting. It is. I mean, it is a wild west. I mean, politically, like statewide, I mean, all the stuff that's going on with the states right now, and everyone's interacting and and doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, Business wise, I mean, we're going to space a whole lot more. Yeah, uh, you know, we live in Austin, and and the the atmosphere right now there is sort of like a booming mm-hmm. old west town. <laughs> it truly is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's a little bit chaotic and. You know, how's that going to, how's that going to sort of settle, you know? And I think that's the opportunity for people to really move in the space right now. It's like, if you're looking to kind of sit back and, you know, sometimes you just, you need to do that and Mm -hmm. you're in a stage of your life that, that it's not ready to move. But this is, this is more of a a call to those who are ready for this. It's, it's, it's a time for, for some interesting, and it's, and and it's going to be difficult because like, uh, you know, everything from our media telling us that there is no inflation to there's some inflation to inflation is good for us. <laughs> okay. So take that eight months or a year. What does that tell you? <laughs> Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. But I think those, that's going to go full Michael Saylor. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot of opportunity for people right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, they're just, it's just these spaces, like just waiting for somebody to say, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Or even just to speak truthfully and forthrightly. Mm-hmm. I think we're all super hungry for it. I mean, I think we listen to the media and we know they're lying to us. Yeah. You know, even if you agree with the end goal and you say, well, it's sort of some sort of noble lie. Yeah. I, I think, Red flag. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think if we aren't as a culture already, we are becoming so and will be so more just very tired of that. We're tired of what is inauthentic. We're tired of lies in service of something else. And and you you sort of look around and you say, well, who's telling the truth? Mm -hmm. Not just about the facts, you know, but like the truth that moves us forward into a life we want to live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to identify very many of those people, which means that, that there's a hunger growing and 
opportunity for people to stand up mm-hmm. and say, well, say what they think. Totally. Truthfully and authentically. And that's going to be massively valuable. Especially like, especially when you do that for the first time or you try something new, it's like failure comes with this territory. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that you, that you have to be okay with. And yeah. I think that's, it's very difficult. I, I have a hard time with that too, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, I think it's just something to like, just like, no, it's like, but every time you fail at something, it's like you get that much better. Mm-hmm. And that, I think it's important to acknowledge that because it's not just that you try something and then you're super successful and now you're a multimillionaire or whatever your, <laughs> your gauge is. It's like, no, you're going to lose some money. You're going to gain some money and you're going to make some money. And it's like, it's, it's, right. but the more times you try it, the, <clears throat> you kind of gain more understanding and knowledge and wisdom. Well, you grow your skill, mm-hmm. hopefully mm-hmm. and your competence yeah, and your ability to sort of play that game mm-hmm. and whether that game is, you know, uh, business or, um, podcasting <laughs> or, um, relationships in general. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. Marriage, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Parenting, mm-hmm. fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, yeah. It's a goddamn privilege to be alive. <laughs> totally. <laughs> to drink scotch with you yes. and talk uh-huh. about everything. Uh-huh. Shores of ignorance. There it is. We're ignorant as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and loving and it. Loving. <laughs> totally. All right, guys. Y'all, thanks for listening and coming on this journey with us. Yeah, for sure. Um, looking forward to more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. All right. Hope See you're guys. all well. Yeah. Love you. Love you. Bye. Ciao. That was a good extended. Yeah. How long are you